you know, from from my taste, religiously and spiritually, I think one of the hardest and most beautiful truths I've had to embrace in my life is that to live a life genuinely loving people means you have to be willing to have your heart broken over and over and over again. Hey, could you stop? Sorry, my cat has decided to attack the Christmas tree at exactly this moment in time. Marley and Marley. Whoa! Well, everyone, welcome to the uh, Cinemarter podcast, uh, and thanks to uh, huge, huge, huge popular demand, we are doing a Christmas special here. Um, so here we are. Uh, this is a podcast where we watch movies, and then we try to discuss the psychological, theological, and mythological themes in those movies. Uh, I am Ryan, and I... I am a musician, a uh, maker. I build stuff. I have a uh, pedal company where I build guitar pedals. And I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, so I reached out to my buddy Mike uh, to uh, co-host this podcast with me. So, Mike, uh, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, my name is Dr. Mike Petro. Um, I work for a place called the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is actually a real place. You can Google it. <laughs> and uh, I have degrees in, uh, let's see, uh, Jungian psychology, comparative religions, and mythology. So I'm super excited to – and anytime there's an opportunity to talk about stories that shape culture or how culture shapes stories, I get pretty excited about it. So this is a pretty pretty cool conversation topic for me. And correct me if I'm wrong, your doctorate is in mythology, correct? It's in mythology with an emphasis in depth psychology. So boring stuff to explain, but basically <laughs> mythology is is like academic speak for, in my field anyway, for big stories that influence culture. And then we use a Jungian psychological lens to look at them. So that's pretty gotcha. much what my, uh, awesome. my last big degree was in. Yes, sir. Awesome. So today for the holiday special, the big holiday extravaganza, we have chosen uh, specifically the movie Scrooged, the 1988, I believe, Bill Murray film, which is the adaptation of a Christmas story. Um, and we're going to discuss some of the other uh, rem- or adaptations of the movies uh, or of that story. Um, but we chose Scrooge to be our... Uh, our focus to start. So I think we'll do a quick recap of Scrooged. Now, I thought I had seen this movie. And when I watched it last night, I realized, no, I had never seen it. I just knew a lot of the like cultural references, <laughs> um, you know, specifically yeah. the the cabbie scenes, you know what I mean? Like that yeah, character is sure. kind of iconic, um, yep. you know, some of the other stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. I um, I, well, first of all, I want to I want to point out in the last year because you know this is this is 2020, so it's the year of us all mostly being home mm-hmm. um, a lot more. I've I've gone back and watched a lot of movies that I thought I had seen, yes, and I have this experience where I hit a scene and I like I have no memory of this, which means it's either been a long time or eventually I realized no, I've never. Yeah, I've never seen this movie all the way through. Right, I had this experience with the movie They Live the other night. Like I was convinced I've seen it so many times and I love it, and then I realized no, I've just seen big pieces of right. it. Right, 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, I I'm think, very intrigued. You know, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I'm, I, I've never seen this movie. When I was yeah. watching it, nothing of it was uh, familiar, except for, again, some of the, the imagery in it, you know, that I've seen in like memes and stuff over the years. It's so well. And I love that you didn't like it. This is going to be a great I did not like it. Yeah. No, I did. I, <laughs> we can get into the specifics later, but Perfect. yeah, I did, I did not like it. Uh, so anyway, the recap of the movie, the basis is Bill Murray plays a TV executive in charge of a, uh, a network, which, which is called, what is it? I, I, IMC, IBC. I don't know. Irritable IBS, bowel syndrome. Something, I, I, yeah, something exactly. Like um, and so the the whole premise is they are putting on a production, a live production of a Christmas Carol, where they're going to have people acting out the the story in studio, and then they're having a reading of it done. I think where was that guy supposed to be at? Uh, Germany or something? He or England? He was somewhere else. I don't. And know. Th- they were doing this worldwide broadcast, right? Yep. And Bill Murray's in charge of it, and simultaneously, he ends up having the experience of Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. So all the ghosts visit him, he has a turn of heart, and at the end, everyone sings a beautiful musical number, and he loves Christmas. Uh, I think that's a pretty... Yeah. Basic uh, oh, yeah. explanation it, of it the is. synopsis. And I have, of the movie. I have a few details I want to jump into, but the yeah, one yeah, thing I want to point out right before we <laughs> even get started, I know we'll circle back around to this again at the end, but uh, one of the things that's unique and wild about this version is the, the meta nature of it. Mm-hmm. It's the one where it's a, it's a Scrooge story in a universe where Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol exists. Right. So yep. he kind of like references a little bit here and there the main story while he's experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And they don't lean into that as much as they could. Right. But it but it does like kind of create something interesting for us maybe to get into later on. You talk about what is what is the actual uh, psychological dynamics of the story. And then also what happens when you read or watch the story? How does it affect you? Right. But more to the point, how great is that opening with the bionic man at Santa's workshop? It's great. I mean, there. I will. <laughs> that might so here's be my the favorite th- scene in the whole movie. Exactly. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. There is a couple beats, and I took some notes. There's a couple beats in the movie that I thought were hilarious and perfect. That opening sequence with with the commercials and all that, yeah. amazing. Like great. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a yep. great movie. Yep. But I think I was thinking about it before we got on, and I think the the best way I can describe the way I felt in the movie was that it was it's it simultaneously felt incredibly slow and incredibly rushed at the same time. There was beats in it where I was just like, what is going on here? Like, this is like, ugh, ugh, boring, boring, boring. But then there was pieces of it where, like the whole thing with his girlfriend that he supposedly hasn't talked to in 15 years. Right. And she shows up and she's kissing him on the lips in like the first second she sees him. I was like, wait a minute, what happened there? Where did that come from? How in the world is this... Right, like, you, you 100% in that scene, and I, I don't want us to get ahead of it, but like yeah. you get the impression she's been sitting around for 15 right. years waiting for his phone call. Because he like calls her, and yeah. she immediately, she's there the next day. She doesn't even call, she shows up in person. Exactly, um, yeah. I, I yeah. actually saw a funny little tidbit about that, and we are getting ahead of ourselves here, but I, I saw a tidbit on one of the trivia things, which says, in that scene when he calls her, her name shows up on caller ID, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what they said in the in the trivia was that caller ID had just been invented that year, mm-hmm. um, or or sorry, no, caller ID wasn't invented. I think, and that he would have had to have had that number and name programmed into his phone for this right. woman he hasn't talked to for fifteen years. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. like, I don't know that whole that whole relationship seemed incredibly forced to me. <laughs> well, and it and it gets into um, one of the particularities of Bill Murray that's fantastic and also just uh, mind boggling. And I would never throw shade at Bill Murray. He's amazing. He's a genius. I love everything he's in. But I love like um, a movie like this or a movie like Ghostbusters where he's essentially like a ladies man. Because yes. you look at him, he's the goofiest looking guy. Yep. And yet the implication is just, God, it's just, oh my God. Well, I think that's what works great about him because even he does arms. that in Kingpin, doesn't he? Like in Kingpin, yeah. he like he's like disgusting, right? He's like super balding <laughs> and he's supposed to be this like you know, gross guy, but he's like hanging out with ladies and being a ladies yep. man at the big bowling yep. competition. Yep. But um, yeah. I did read, Very I think funny. one of the things that led to why maybe I had a disconnect with this film is I read sure. or I saw, I watched a video, a video commentary on it last night. And the guy was saying in this, that apparently they like rewrote the script like a thousand times. I believe that. And then what happened that, was when they got on set, Bill Murray was Bill Murray and just improvised everything. And so most that. of what you're seeing is supposedly him improvising. And apparently yep. it was annoying everyone on set. And so what happened was when they got to the editing room, they had this mountain of crazy Bill Murrayisms, right? Sure. That they had to try to find a movie in. And, you know, I do right. video editing on the side. And I know that right. when you have a ton of footage, it's hard to, to yep. tell a story, you know? Um, so I think that might be why I felt a little bit of disconnect. And the other thing I was thinking about is I do not have the nostalgia associated with this movie. So right. there are some right. movies where your nostalgia carries the, the love for it, right? And and Absolutely. so like when you, you can show a movie that you grew up with to somebody and they'll be like, this movie sucks, you know? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is like I love this movie. So I do have a nostalgia factor with it. And more yeah. than that – I have an insane amount of nostalgia for Dickens' Christmas Carol, which right. we'll get into. So I love yes. every variation of it I love. Yes. But the thing is, even looking through that nostalgia, and I hope no one's mad. I'm not trying to throw shade at the movie Scrooge. Ryan's doing that. But yes. it is an <laughs> ugly movie. Like aesthetically, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a very ugly movie. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have that those nostalgia goggles and you watch it for the first time, it's yes. off-putting. Um, you know, it's very dated from the 80s, which a lot of times is is charming and endearing. Yes. This has a little bit of an 80s feel in ways that aren't always 100%, endearing. 100%. 100%. I was thinking while watching it, like, I mean, it was sort of a who's who of the 80s, right? Like, even oh, with yeah. the actors, like, even having, uh, like, Mary Lou Retton in, in there. Oh, my God. Um, and then... Uh, As Tiny Tim. Right. Which was... I mean, <laughs> who, that does, was who does, funny. like, a, a backflip or something yeah. when she... <laughs> God blesses everyone. She discards the cane and does a flip. Yeah, I mean that was great. Uh, who else was in there that I saw the the I forget the actress's name, but the the mom from um, Goonies, the the yeah the Tertelli's, uh mom Tertelli's, yeah. what, whatever. Well, and even his his former lady love is Marion from, from Indiana Jones, and, which right? is hilarious or because I was watching this. I'm like, how do I know this woman? And yep. I didn't hit me until the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, it's Marion. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Who else? Oh, uh, Buster Poindexter as the. Cabby, uh, the, oh, the singer yeah, for yeah, yeah, New York Dolls, or, or wait, was he the singer? Yeah, I think so. I was we'll trying to remember who he was. Okay, feeling hot, hot, hot. Yep. Me love on fire. I'm on the fire. Feeling hot, yep. hot, hot. Buster Poindexter. Yep, he's my favorite um, line in the movie. Uh, what's the, what's the line? Genghis Khan seeing his mother, and he's like, I can't do the voice, but he's like Niagara Falls. 
<laughs> right? Wait, we're talking about the ghost of Christmas past? Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite. That's Everybody says that until they see their mom. He talks about Genghis Khan seeing his mom. Yeah. No, there was... Okay, so, so should we talk about this movie? Or we should probably mention that we both also revisited other versions of A Christmas, uh, Christmas mm. Carol. I... My personal favorite... And I haven't seen all the versions like you have. But my personal favorite always comes down to a tie between Mickey's Christmas Carol, which is a quick, lovely uh, watch, or The Muppet Christmas Carol, which is nearly perfect, I think, in my opinion. Um, And then I did listen to uh, most of a audiobook version uh, Mm -hmm. that I found for free online, uh, but I uh, did not finish it. Um, but it was interesting hearing the the original story because I've never like read the, the the actual book. So his language in that in the in the writing is obviously brilliant. I mean, it's oh, it's it, like the the way he words yeah. things is is great. Yeah, it's it's like I have a I have a neurotic love for this story. Um, so I I basically every year. I spend some time with it, and then um, if we have time, we'll talk about this. There's, and then there's even I've built myself an end of the year Christmas New Year's reflection that I go through every year. That's actually based on the beats of this story, mm-hmm. but I just think it's fantastic. So I uh, every year I either read it or I listen to an audio version of it. There's a good version of I think Neil Gaiman reading it out there somewhere. My favorite is uh, Sir Patrick Stewart reading it, and he um, does every version in character. He used to do a one man show on Broadway. Where he would do every every character. Okay. Um, he's really great, and yeah. like you said, the the language. I was surprised. I actually like the story better than almost all the movie adaptations of it mm-hmm. because the language is really great, and it's yeah. short and it's punchy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really almost like absolutely distilled fantastic storytelling because it's so quick and it does so much with without doing too much, and so right. that's where like even the Mickey version, which I also watched this year. Uh, is super fun. I think it's like 26 or 27 minutes right. long. And it just boom, 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 gets all the beats in. <laughs> and before, yeah. you know, the thing has started, it's over and it's it's told you the story. So that one I that one I saw this year, um, I do the Muppets often. I did that one again this year, which is great. Did you watch the version with the, the when he, um, when you flash back and you see the woman that he was engaged to and they break up, in some versions she sings a song and in some versions she doesn't? I believe that the version I had that I saw did not have it, and so then I you, yeah. you mentioned this when we talked the other day. By the way, my internet is getting a little weird. If things happen, if if we get crappy here, I'll have to restart. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I I don't think it was in it, but now my brain's all confused because I watched the clip of it and it seemed familiar to me. Um, yeah. So and it, but there was a section when I was watching the Muppet Christmas Carol. And it might have been yep. around this time where it felt a little slower to me than I remember. Yep. Um, and yep. it might have been because maybe this was in the version I watched. I don't know. I don't. I, I, yeah, my brain it, is... it's weird. I've seen like growing up, I think there was something like the they cut the song out of the movie, but then they put the song back into the version that they would show on TV. OK. Uh, and one of the home video releases, then they cut it back out. So most of us have grown up. If you've watched it over the years. You've probably seen it without the song, with the song, and then without the song right. again. And but like you is, said, they reprised the song at the end in the, that's in the big... That's the thing that's so crazy, right? There's what is What would that be, a medley, when they have all the different yeah. songs mm-hmm. together? Right, and that's so the there's part a medley that, and they do reprise it. And that might be where my brain is getting confused, because that melody is is mm-hmm. very prominent in that 
medley at the end. Right. Okay. So when I listened to the song today, I watched that clip just to uh-huh. refresh myself. I was like, yeah, I definitely know this song, but I don't know that if I I can't remember if I know the, the scene or yeah. or not. You know. Um, well, it's it's I, I'm with you on the fact though that I think it's it's one of my favorite versions of it, and I'm sure we'll reference it as we go through Scrooge because how could yeah. you not? It's it's the most yeah. fun one to compare it to. But I, I watched that one. I watched. Um, uh, let's see what else did I watch. I tried to watch. Somebody did a in the last two or three years. Someone did a mini series, mm. and I don't. I think like Guy Pierce or someone is the is Ebenezer Scrooge, and I tried okay. to watch it. But I couldn't get into it because it was too damn long. It was okay. like they – it's the opposite of the Mickey version. The Mickey version, yeah. they distill it down to the barest elements. And this one, they like wanted to flush everything out, which I, right. this is something that annoys me when storytellers adapt something. is like people aren't smart enough to get this on their own. So we need to give a reason for everything. It's like, and they try to create so much extra backstory, I just got bored with it. It's like making three movies uh, for The Hobbit. <laughs> right, it's exactly like making three movies for The Hobbit. It's like people, you know, and I, I mean, uh, you know, there's probably a monster. Well, and the thing is that, that the too. the story itself, I mean, when I was listening to the audiobook, I mean, I was kind of tearing through it. It's not a very long. No, it's really short story. It's it's pretty quick, so I don't know how you make a yeah. mini series. <laughs> yeah, and by far and away the most successful thing Charles Dickens ever did probably put him on the map in a way, but mm-hmm. but really really short. Um, yeah, he wrote this in eighteen, or it was published in eighteen forty three. And I read a little bit of trivia that said he wrote it in six weeks, yeah. start to finish, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is, yep. wow, that's impressive. And it was, it was more successful than he ever could have guessed. Yeah. And it was so successful, the publishing house wasn't ready for it to blow up the way that it did. And mm-hmm. so what happened was other people started plagiarizing it and publishing it. So, like, there were a bunch of people making money off this simultaneously. So that's the funny thing is pretty much in the DNA – of a Christmas Carol is it's other greed. people. Yeah, it's greed, absolutely. And other people taking it and like adapting it or or doing their own version of it to make money off it. Yeah. Well, the funny um, thing, I, I thought I had like known sort of like colloquially is is this idea that at the time, this idea of Christmas spirit was yeah. not super popular. Like this no. this big production that we now know yep. as normal was not yep. normal. So he sort no. of ushered that in right like by yeah. writing this book like that sort or, of... or or at least brought it back so that right, so the conventional right. wisdom is when you look at the at like the christian holidays easter was the big holiday for for a majority of you know the the existence of the christian culture right mm-hmm. and then what happened was the franciscans came along and the franciscans were the first one to kind of say Christmas might be as important, if not more important, than Easter. And, I mean, mm. Christmas is a baby being born. Easter is Jesus dying on a cross. Like, it's a no-brainer. It's just right. a, a much more of a feel-good holiday. <laughs> so the Franciscans gave it a big boost. Uh, and then and then Dickens really kind of um, pushed it into the next level. And I think – I might be wrong about this. I think there's a book about how he wrote the story, and it might be called The Man Who Invented Christmas. I'll double okay. check this in a minute online. Yeah. But yeah, so all that to say, it's it's pretty wild. And it's amazing to me that with the innovation of television and movies, there are more versions of this story than I can keep up with. Mm-hmm. Like I, I last night, I sat down and I watched, there's a 1970 uh, musical starring okay. Albert Finney, who's, uh, if you know... Um, I knew him only from the musical Annie. 
Okay. He's Daddy Warbucks in the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, and then Sir Alec Guinness, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original yep. Star Wars trilogy, he's Marley's ghost. Oh, and wow. he's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And listen to me, it is zany. It's over the top. <laughs> it's like just... I w- I'm used to, like, I love the Muppets, so a little bit of, like, musical stuff I can kind of yeah. roll with. Mm-hmm. But at the very beginning, Scrooge, I don't remember if I sent this to you, Scrooge breaks into a song called I Hate People. Yes, he and sent it, it is... to me, and I related on uh, oh. a, a spiritual level right. with the song. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I almost posted online today and said actual footage of me Christmas shopping is him walking around singing I Hate People. But the funny thing is, it wouldn't be this year because he gets too close to people and no one's right, wearing masks. Right, yeah. right. But yeah, it's, it's such a... Um, it's so funny. I think this might be one of my favorite versions coming in now, having just seen it. I think it immediately moved to the top. But I have to say, it's so zany. Okay. It is, it is equal parts um, Dickens' Christmas Carol and like the wackiness of the late '60s, early '70s movie making. Like, was it a somewhere... serious take? Was it? Were they trying oh, yeah. to be serious? One hundred percent a serious take. Yeah. But it has just like shades of. If you think about like. Um, Mary Poppins, the musical, it's mm-hmm. great, classic, beloved. But there are some things in it that are like a little bit gotcha. fantastic, mm-hmm. a little bit over the top. They jump into the the the, the chalk drawing at one point in the sidewalk. Right. So somewhere between Mary Poppins and Willy Wonka, okay, um, <laughs> it's like somewhere in the middle there yeah. on the zany scale. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. There's a great scene. Well, actually, I'll save it for when we. I'm going to interject. Okay. When okay, we go okay. through the beats of Scrooge, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I think about other ghosts in other movies. I, but I, I, to, I highly uh, recommend people watch the the '70s uh, musical. You can find the whole thing on YouTube. Okay. Um, and what's and the if you're title? too fancy it's for that, just called it's called Christmas Scrooge. Show? Oh, it's called Scrooge. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, or you can also rent it for like two bucks on Amazon Prime. Um, I wanted to. Uh, so I was doing a little research about Scrooge, getting back into the movie uh, that we decided to discuss, and. Uh, it seems as though a lot of people shared my sentiment in uh, 1988. Uh, really? Roger Ebert said, Scrooge is one of the most disquieting, unsettling films to come along in quite some time. <laughs> it was obviously intended as a comedy, but there's little comic about it. And indeed, the movie's overriding emotions seem to be pain and anger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, USA it, Today said Scrooge is so mon- so monumental a mess that even rabid Bill Murray fans, the ones who will stand in line to see it despite critics' inevitable bashings, will wonder how it went so wrong. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. I wonder what the Rotten Tomatoes score is. I didn't even think to look. Yeah, I didn't even. Um, I didn't, I didn't I'm going to do it right look. now. It, you know, it, it does. This is what I was saying earlier. It does depict everything a, uh, ugly about the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm it's a child that... of the 80s. I think you're a child of the 80s. But it's everything mm-hmm. gross about the 80s is in that movie. Yeah. And it's got that. I feel like every 80s movie. I mean, this was. You know, New York was always. New York was a rougher place in the 80s. You know oh my god! I mean? Oh, so, I remember. So, so it. I feel like any movie that. Are they in New York in this movie? Uh, if, if it's not actually New York, it's spiritually it's New York. It's spiritually New York, like New York, right? It like might it be feels Chicago. Like, I'm going to look it up right Yeah, now. it might be Chicago now that I think about it. But anyway, it's got that gritty, you know, 1980s city feel. <laughs> yes. I uh, The first time I set foot in New York City, I was in third grade. And for reasons that are too long of a story to tell, we were there at midnight on a Saturday on 42nd Street. And it was like sex shops 
and yeah. gangs <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, uh, night workers of ill repute, shall we say. The yeah, funny thing is, years later, I ended up working on that street. Um, That's I rem- right. I rem- yeah, That's right. I did. Like my, I worked in the, the Times Square Art Center. And it's such a, it was such a random um, time warp to yeah. think like New York City and Times Square pre-Disney, pre-Lion King. Right. Um, it was a very, pre, I, I, it hurts me even to say pre-Giuliani these days. But like, <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. So much we could say. There's yeah. another reason that I think Bill Murray's character stings a little bit this year, but we're not going to get into <laughs> into into politics. But there is yeah, something that's not, about that's not the, the theme of this podcast, Mike. But uh, no, we could, I know. we could go at length about. Uh... <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I will say so. There was a couple beats in the movie that I really liked. Obviously, the the opening sequences with the with the commercials, the fake commercials at the beginning was great. Yeah. Um, the I felt like the 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 makeup for for Marley was like really good, really <laughs> like, really good, like really good. Um, yep. he was scary but but funny. Um, the the gag with the mouse crawling out of his the golf ball hole in his head and then climbing yep. back in was hilarious. Or even when he he shoots him several times and, and then he drinks the scotch yeah. and it comes out of all the bullet holes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I laughed so hard i think this is the only time i really laughed in the movie at the scene when they had the the what are they the gold dancers or whatever and, he, and she's like you can see your nipples and then they show and <laughs> nipples are sticking and then when the lady passes out he goes make sure to make sure her nipples are covered will you <laughs> when she passes out Especially because she's like what so the, overly dressed, yeah, she's right? Overly yeah. dressed, and he's like, "Make sure her nipples are covered, will you?" Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that was really funny. Um, but yeah, overall, I don't know. I was not, I was not a fan of uh, of, of this of this movie in general. Um, it's so funny too because there's. Um, so I know Mir- Murray shot this after a four-year hiatus, right? I think he did Ghostbusters mm. and then he peaced out for a while. Okay. But Ghostbusters got to be the most popular thing he's ever done. Yeah. Um, and then they brought this back and I was shocked when I watched it to realize that I think Richard Donner mm-hmm. was the director of yes. Superman fame, right? Which is, Superman's kind of a quirky movie. Right. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, I think it has. Uh, it's it's in the seventies on Rotten Tomatoes. So so more people liked it than didn't. Yes, but oh, it's no, definitely I'm... clunky. There was um, so a couple other things I noticed. So th- there's the um, I noticed throughout the whole thing. Uh, did you notice the free Africa posters and stickers everywhere throughout the movie? I didn't. And I and I was like, oh, this was during apartheid. That's that's why. Okay. And that you know, and so they're obviously they were having a political that. bent. Um, throughout the movie, and then the other thing that I didn't I didn't get the reference, and I had to look it up was when he throws water on the the guy when he sees the guy burning in the in the when yep. they're out to eat, and he throws water on him, and he says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were Richard Pryor." Yeah. Did you get that reference? Not Did at you all. Understand that reference over my head. Didn't understand it at all. So the reference is apparently Richard Pryor at one point was freebasing cocaine and accidentally set himself on fire and ran down the street in Los Angeles. Oh my god. 
I did not know this. And so he just in the movie decided to reference that. I, I, maybe I, maybe it was uh, in the you know the zeitgeist at the time that people knew that that was a thing that happened. But um, wow. I had never heard that story. I I had neither. I, again, when I saw it, I was like, I don't I don't get that joke, and I'm not sure that it landed well. But okay, that's yeah. I mean, it must have landed that. better back then. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, all right. So what else about uh, what uh, what else stuck out to you about Scrooge compared to other? Uh, um, well, again, so so to say what I already said, I, I I like the fact that it's a meta reference to the story. So it exists in a universe that that um, acknowledges that Charles Dickens' story exists. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny the um, in a movie that's a fresh take on the Scrooge story that's bringing in Bill Murray in an attempt to make money on the Scrooge story. It starts off with this kind of lampooning a television station trying to do an over-the-top live production of right. a Scrooge story trying to make money. So that that bit was hysterical. And like you said, the, all the all the kind of goofiness of the stage production, mm-hmm. the, the, the standards and practices complaining that you can see the nipples of the dancers right. because they're clearly overly sexualized. Right. Um, yeah. The him him wanting them to <laughs> the television executive who says that a lot of dogs and cats yeah. are watching television, <laughs> so we need to treat them as a new as a new potential yeah. market yeah. and has them work uh, mice into mice, the story yeah, with the little and they're trying to horns. glue antlers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's like it's funny. There's a lot of bits I feel like. Uh, that work in the movie. So that to me, I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I also liked the, they take like Bob Cratchit's character and they split that into two, two different characters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have his assistant who has her son who yep. is uh, like the tiny, tiny Tim, Tim character. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have Bobcat Goldwick, I think it is. Right. It go, yeah. Goldthwait. Isn't it how you say it? I, I have whatever. no idea how yeah, to say whatever. it. I'm saying it wrong. I mean, that's he, totally an 80s guy. Wow. Oh, my. It, it's as <laughs> 80s as it gets. And so he fires him because, uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, he, um, Bill Murray sees that they're running this very wholesome commercial for it. And he decides instead that he wants them to run this terrifying apocalyptic commercial right. that talks about like – uh, carjackings and and crime and everything else and like why why we need the Christmas Carol more than ever right and uh, Bobcat tries to warn him that it's bad and that it's right. too intense and that it will scare children and Murray immediately has him fired and thrown on, out of the out of the building on Christmas Eve on yeah. Christmas Eve yes and then he winds back into the story right uh, and he becomes an alcoholic on the streets and he's uh disheveled and falling yeah. apart and then eventually comes back in the end to I, I mean i don't think we're spoiling anything uh tries to kill Bur- bill murray with a shotgun which which is a great bit it, it it's great but also in the age of like active shooters happening all the time it oh, yeah. it was a little bit no weird like to, it to has not aged as a joke. well. Yeah. <laughs> no, it has not aged well. I was like, I wrote up a, a, a reflection on this story recently, and I was making references to different scenes from different movies. Yeah. And I started to put something about the the ghost of Christmas future showing up uh, accompanied by a shotgun wielding person. And yeah. I was like, oh, this will be a great reference to the movie. And I was like, I can't put that in there. This is no. like terrible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely hasn't aged well. Also funny that... He's like supposed to be one of the good characters in the movie. Right. <laughs> and again, it's this kind of this is the funny thing about making Bill Murray the main character is 
he is every bit Ebenezer Scrooge, but he also is this like messianic Bill Murray. So Bobcat Gullwick, who's one of the best characters in the story, devolves into being an alcoholic, <laughs> gun-toting, homeless madman in the space right. of about five hours, two hours. I don't even know right, how long. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the same amount of time that it takes Bill Murray to be completely redeemed. Right. And then Bill Murray's redemption like pulls him back on track. Right. Um, but it is it is funny, but from a story perspective, very clunky. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, it, you know, it just takes, as the Joker says, just a little push. <laughs> like, goes insane. I think um, one of the... One of the thing, one of the beats of the of the entire movie that like, ugh, it just was so grating on me was Carol Kane's character as the Ghost of Christmas Present. It's a very she's, bold choice. She's so over the top with her. I mean, that's sort of her thing, right? Is she yeah. does those voices and she's always because yeah. she was she was um, Princess Bride, right? She was the um, Miracle Max's wife, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Um. And she's kind of doing the same thing, right? She was – that's kind of what she did was those over-the-top voices right. and, and very right. flamboyant and loud. Right. And, but in this, man, it was just so over-the-top and it's, I was just like, ugh. I, I – yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen the movie, we've jumped ahead to the Ghost of Christmas present. Present, yeah. And it's a really bold departure from the way the Ghost of Christmas present is traditionally – portrayed because the ghost of Christmas present in theory is this giant uh almost looks like Santa Claus but has a long red beard is dressed in a green robe and and about 50 60 percent of the time shows up exactly looking like that in the story and then sometimes people give it a twist and they give it an innovation and they make it their own this one though um I liked I thought it was fun to like depict the ghost of Christmas present as this um, almost magic fairy character, like flying around with wings and had a wand and it would have, would have landed exactly the same way. What I, yeah, what I didn't love was the intensity of her character and the crazy physical comedy of her constantly kicking Bill Murray in the nuts, slapping him, punching him. And again, that's her physical comedy. But I remember thinking when I watched it, I was like, gosh, I wonder if this was less grating in the 80s, people were used to this. Maybe. The, the violence between their two characters was actually a little bit much for me. Well, one of the trivia things I saw was that when she pulls his lip at the one point, she, like, yeah. grabs his bottom lip and pulls it down. Apparently, she, yeah. like, messed him up. Oh, and God. they had to stop filming for, like, a day or two because he was, like, messed. Like, she ripped something inside Ugh. of his mouth when she pulled it down. I 100% believe that. Yeah. And it did, like, for me, that sequence more than any of the other ones actually like pulled me out of the movie a little bit because totally. it was so like totally and again yeah. also like violence between men and women is very unpleasant and not right. you know it's it's it just yeah. Ugh. yeah well what did you i mean if you have anything else to say about her let me know but if not i'd love to jump back and and hear what you think about um the ghost of christmas past Oh, he was yeah, good. Uh, so again, that was um, the guy from New York Dolls and then Bust- Buster Poindexter, yeah, with the the famous "Hot Hot Hot" song. Um, okay, that's who he is. Yeah, he. I, I liked that character. I think that was fun. Um, yeah. It it made sense. Um, I'm trying to ref. Hold on. What's who in the Muppet Christmas Carol? Who is that? Who is the Ghost of Christmas okay. Past? So here's the thing. In in the, the Muppet Christmas Carol, the Ghost of Christmas Past is a, an original creation 
um, that looks like a um, as only the Muppets can do. Actually, I think it works really, really well in that movie. Is a kind of um, oh, she, the glowing floating... angelic child. Yes, that's right. right? And okay. in the story, if you remember, I think that ghost is supposed to look like a candle flame. Okay. Um, and the the version is not my favorite version at all, but the version that probably gets the closest to what the book describes is the Jim Carrey led animated version. Uh, mm. It's like CGI animation, and yeah. I think Disney mm-hmm. put it out a couple years ago. And that's probably where you get the closest. Like okay. glows like a, a, a candle. Um but Gotcha. Yeah. Um so the tax the guy like smoking a cigar driving a taxi cab, huge yeah. departure from Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> but I thought I thought honestly, like the most successful probably part of the whole movie. Yeah. Um he was yeah, fun. No, that was and again, in my like memory of like seeing images from this from the past, yeah. that's what I always see is that face like his character yeah did you recognize bill murray's uh dad in the in the flashback no so he's bill murray's oh if i remember correctly he's bill murray's older brother plays his dad and he most famously for me plays the boss in christmas vacation uh who's right he kidnaps at the end of the movie yeah okay you know what's funny i did recognize the character at the time but i didn't i couldn't put two and two together because he's kind of they don't really show him clearly when he comes in in that scene yeah he basically he brings his kid like uh a couple pounds of veal chopped meat for uh, his christmas gift that's right but i always hear his voice because that scene where chevy chase goes into his office in christmas vacation to give him a gift and he's like get me somebody anybody and get me somebody while i'm waiting (laughs) yeah and that's probably what i recognized was his voice and i couldn't (laughs) place it at the time that's okay yes no because he's great in christmas vacation oh my god he's amazing it's funny he's amazing yeah he really he's a great great villain and then uh is hysterical when he which for me that movie this is hugely tangential but that movie is my favorite christmas movie yeah i don't know why but like that's it's my tradition to watch that movie yep uh every year and i'm Um, sure you're not alone in that it's it's brilliant um we we growing up that was always on yeah. Um the scene where he like goes down the hill on the sled is I mean there's so you know, many scenes in that movie. Yeah, that it's just... as much a part of my my Christmas memory as as Christmas carols and right. and gifts and stockings and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything else to talk about the Ghost of Christmas? Um uh, well I'm just glad you told me who he was cuz I didn't know that. But I I no, I th- I think he works. I it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I like it. And also for me, I like it because I used to know a guy when I was in the city who he was an old retired cab driver and he had a black and white checkered cab like that, that he would drive mm. around for tips. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was and, <laughs> and he had been driving a cab at New York City for decades. So yeah. whenever he took you somewhere, he'd be telling you, oh, this is where the old mental hospital used to be. This is where this was before they knocked it down and built this other thing. So it, it had like a very deep autobiographical meta narrative for me, which I was way into. Yeah. So yeah, again, I, I, I thought it was good. Yeah. And then the ghost of Christmas future in this movie has a TV for a head. Yep. <laughs> it's um, when you, um, when you watch, it's the one that I find the most interesting in all of the adaptations is the ghost of Christmas future. Because he's always the scariest, but kind of always the most boring. He always looks like a ring wraith, right? right? Mm-hmm. Or a dementor from Harry Potter. That's all he yep. is. He's a he's a hooded figure. He doesn't speak. 
he just kind of points. And I, we, you and I talked about this earlier. My favorite version in the is one hundred percent Mickey's Christmas Girl. Yeah, uh, always when Ooh, I Ebenezer. Yes, best scene <laughs> in the whole thing. Knocks him into the grave. Yeah. Um, in the, in the crazy musical version I was telling you about that I just saw last night, he gets knocked into the grave and he actually goes to hell. It's so bonkers. It's so crazy. But, um, I think one of the beats that I enjoy in that movie is because again, it's meta, like this is taking place while they're doing a production of Dickens Christmas Carol. I do actually really like the scene where the elevator door opens and the and the character playing the ghost of Christmas Future is in the elevator, and Bill is, Murray freaks out because he thinks it's the actual ghost who's come for him. So then, when the actual right. ghost shows up later in the movie, he misses it completely because he thinks it's something from the production. Right. <laughs> and like that, that is yeah. that kind of works for me. But what did you? Um, yeah, what did you think about it otherwise? I was going to say thematically, going sort of what we the point of this podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the fact that the ghost of Christmas future is always portrayed as this dark figure, almost like death. Yeah. Th- thematically, I mean, because you almost think that the ghost of Christmas future could be something more positive, right? Like hoping sure. for a yep. better future. But it is chosen that it is this like existential dread character, right? Yep. Um, and I wonder, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess like, oh, I have something to say about that. Go for well, it. See, go for it. Cause there's something of, there, right? Yeah. Everything is there. Here's the thing about, um, about a Christmas Carol. It starts with death and it ends with death. The first mm-hmm. thing that shows up is the ghost of Bob Marley, Bob Marley, <laughs> Jacob Marley. <laughs> Dude. I do that every time. I was talking to yeah. Tom about this the other day, and I kept saying yeah. Bob Marley. <laughs> I, I just I, I want that version of a Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, seriously. So so Jacob Marley shows up, or Marley and Marley. If you watch the Muppets version, and that's the best. Marley and, and Marley. Ooh, so uh, my cat just freaked out. So good. So the story starts with death, and it ends with death. And I and like I said in the in the 1970s musical, there's a scene where he goes to hell, but that's not. That's not anywhere in the story. Like there, the, the, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but the afterlife that this story poses is more of like a, a sheol where like the shades are kind of wandering around. They don't really make much of heaven or hell in this story. There's no point ever where someone says to Scrooge, uh, you know, become a good person. So you go to heaven. It's just not there. It's barely implied. The story starts with mortality and it ends with mortality um, and I was talking to a friend about this the other day who was of a slightly more intellectual bent. And I was very excited when he said, so it's the Ecclesiastes take on, um, Christmas and being a good person. And I was like, precisely that. If you know anything about the, the book of Ecclesiastes from Hebrew wisdom literature, um, or the middle of the Bible, if that's easier <laughs> uh, to think about, right. It's this story that starts with the, it's this book and the first line in it is uh, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Or you can translate it, uh, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. A more Mm -hmm. accurate translation would be life is a vapor. Uh, Mm -hmm. Breath of breath, it's all just breath. It's here and then it's gone. And it's this idea that reflecting on our mortality 
is the best way to get us to take stock of what we're doing with the time that we have. And I think that's why that works. And I think that's why the ghost of Christmas future needs to be in the context of this story, a reminder that Scrooge is going to die. Tiny Tim is going to die. Bob Cratchit says uh, in some versions of the story, and I think in the original, you know, we're going to, we're all going to part at some point, but I hope we never forget this first parting among us. Right. Um, And I hope that it teaches us something. But, because life is short. And in the context of the Christmas Carol, it's not that our souls are immortal, though they might be. Right. Um, you know, we do have Jacob Marley wandering the earth. It's not that our souls are immortal. It's that the tradition is immortal or outlives mm-hmm. us and reminds us to think about our own mortality and what we're going to leave behind. I mean, even the even the ghost of Christmas present lives for a day and then dies. It's right. really... Um, woven into the DNA of how the story works. And and the strange thing is it's a feel good piece. And I think a lot of us don't understand this age old notion that contemplating our mortality actually makes our life better. And that's the thing that actually I'm glad we we're on this topic because that's the big theme that for the first time ever hit me when I watched uh, even uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, yeah. which is I totally noticed for the first time that there is literally no mention, as as you talked about, there is no mention of heaven. Nope. There is the illusion throughout the movie or the implication maybe that if you are a bad person, something bad will happen to you because obviously yep. Marley is chained for eternity yep. and that could be hell, I guess. Um, but there is no mention of heaven or a good place at all. No. So, the, so sort of the whole point is, to, like you're talking about, is the idea of taking mortality into account brings you more into the present so you can be a better live a better life and be a better person now absolutely and and the irony is even if you think about the little taste of afterlife we get is is marley chained for all time and and my favorite versions of this and they're few and far between always involve the scene where marley takes scrooge to the window and he either opens a window or he takes him out and he sees it's not just marley but there Mm. are many 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 shades and it's always a little bit scary, and I love okay. it. Uh, but mm. a lot of versions don't put it in. It's in the it's in the musical. It's in the Jim Carrey version. I think it's in uh, maybe the Alistair Sim version. Okay. But you see all these shades, and their torture is that they want to interfere for good in human affairs, but they can't anymore. Gotcha. And so even the afterlife is rooted in the present and in reality. It's right. everything in this story, right? That's you, 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 um, it goes past, present, future to change the present. Right. Everything is rooted in what's happening in the real world. It's a real, um, you know, we would say like, it's a story that's really anchored in like social justice more than anything in the mm. world, as opposed to just the salvation of, of the main character. And, and, well, and it was- makes sense in the context of when the story was written. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no. What I was going to say was, I, I, I think just sort of, you know, because I don't uh, study. I, I don't study is probably the wrong word, but you're sort of obsessed with this story. <laughs> I am, and um, to maybe you know, and I've always just kind of watched it. You know, just I watched them up at Christmas Carol and Mickey's sure. Christmas Carol, and I never really thought about it too much. But I think because you know, uh, for those people, the two people that are listening that may not know, Mike and I grew up in very religious households, Absolutely. and. And I think 
<clears throat> what my sort of um, understanding of this story was sort of like from the what we would call the, the traditional like evangelical perspective of yep. It's almost what do they call it, like soul insurance, right? Like the idea yep. of like the, if you're good, you're going to get to go to heaven. Right. And that's not actually the point of this at all. It's not right. about going nope. to heaven. It's about living now for good. <laughs> yeah, it's about creating heaven on earth. Right. Um, and that, yeah, same thing, because I, I grew up in that kind of born-again Christian experience that was all about do this right thing and then you go to heaven. And so I always – resonated really deeply with Scrooge's conversion experience. Exactly. But you miss the subtext. And for me, it wasn't until I read the story that Mm. it really hit me. Um, This isn't be nice to people. This is like a wealthy person who's being challenged to recognize poverty and injustice around him. And it makes sense. In the time that it was written, um, uh, London was a dark and scary place. There was an Mm. insane, you know, they talk about even the aesthetic and why this story works so well. It was a spooky place to live. There was an insane amount of soot and pollution uh, from all the industry and factories and chimneys and so on and so forth. So you were always walking through a fog and a haze, yeah. and there was an insane amount of poverty. And it was um, it was one of those times where, I don't want to say it was the beginning of the disparity between the rich and the poor, because that's always been here. Yeah. But... Um, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but like industry was creating a, a real type of of separation and unemployment was a real thing. Um, it, it's just it's a real uh, for Dickens. It was a wake up call, not just to be like, hey, Christmas is a time we should celebrate, which worked profoundly well um, in the publishing of this story and what it's done to culture and how cherished it's become. But he was also saying, you know take care of the people around you right. because that's the only real immortality that you can be assured of is your, you know, the gift of love to other people. Right. So, you know, um, yeah. but yeah, it's amazing how easy it is to miss that totally. or to miss all the, you know, him talking about impoverished people. Uh, I love that line that he gives that I'm going to misquote where the dudes show up at his office and they want him to give some money uh, to charity. And mm-hmm. he says, like, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Right. Um, yep. And then he said, some would rather die than go there. And he says, well, they better do it and decrease, decrease the surface population. Surplus population. Then. Yeah. Right. There it is. And then the ghost of Christmas present throws that back at him when he's, I think he's concerned about Tiny Tim dying. Yep. And he, he says, well, then he better do it and decrease the yeah. surplus population. It's just... Well, and I really, think the, really poignant. The, the the fact that we can miss the, like the 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 major theme of this movie, which is what right. we're talking about, speaks volumes to the fact that a lot of our mainstream religion, yep, is more concerned with this idea of soul insurance, right? This, Absolutely, this, and 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 a lot of our mainstream uh, religion, or I can only speak to evangelicalism, sure. which, which sure. we grew up in. But it wasn't about the things that it's supposed to be about. It wasn't about taking care of the poor and the hungry and the, and the needy. It was more about, like, I got to get to heaven so right. I can live forever, right. right? supposedly happy, and, and screw all the other people that are right. hurting. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, like most, I think a lot of stories, it helps me to think about them in, in three levels, which is like, what is this you know, oh God, we could. I'm trying not to go into the rabbit hole here. Um, 
But like, what is one, what does the story tell me about the time and place that it was written? So, and this is actually classical exegesis that we'll get into another day. Like what's Mm -hmm. the historical aspect here? Um, so what does it tell me about the time and place that it was written and how does it hit the time and place that I'm reading it in? Right. Then what is it? tell me systematically big picture what is it telling me about how humans work in community Mm -hmm. um what does it tell me psychologically about me Mm -hmm. and what does it tell me about an individual person because you know every really good narrative that grabs people whether it's this or it's like star wars is Mm -hmm. saying something about culture and it's saying something about how an individual person builds a life and then last but not least you know this is the cinema or podcast so we're going to throw this in like what does it say spiritually what what hint does it give at it the reality that's more than real right but you can't forsake any one of those elements for the other one or you or you miss the point of the story and i think for us we it was all individual Mm -hmm. um and it was all all soul salvation right how do i how do i get out of here and get to heaven um and not even soul formation because it's because there it's not that it's how do i build a soul how do i build a good life Right. You know, in this story, Ebenezer Scrooge like deconstructs his whole life mm-hmm. and his whole view of the world um, and even has to rethink his belief about the supernatural to to make this change and then actually has to take real steps and live the rest of his life differently, which again, like I said, is, and we'll get to this when we get to it, but I have like a, personally, I have a whole journal exercise I built around this story that yeah. I really love. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not about do this one thing, right. be converted, yeah. <laughs> and then, or believe these beliefs. That's not, yeah. you, there's no theology no. implicit in this, or explicit, excuse me, in this story. It's all implicit. Right. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. No, no. I was going to say, you're, you were just talking about Scrooge's transformation. Yep. And there's a huge, and I, I hope you can comment on this and, and talk a little bit about this, but there's a huge psychological component to this. When, 100%. W- when we look at Scrooge, when he's at, you know, when, when uh, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past takes him back, we see him as a child and he's studious and he's working late, staying in school the whole time to be, you know, successful. Then we see him uh, when he's at Fezziwig's. Um, there's a party going on and he's still working, which by the way, the fact that in the Muppet Christmas Carol, it's Fozzywigs. Yes. I mean, you could have, I, I was thinking about this. It's, I feel like somebody on the Muppet staff one day was like watching, you know, a Christmas Carol and they were like Fezziwigs. Oh, it could be Fozzywigs. And that's and how they created the rest of the movie. You like couldn't ask too for perfect. a better, no, it's, it is, it's phenomenally perfect. You couldn't ask for a better like yeah. way in. It's, it's great. But so Scrooge, obviously, he's he's always in this pursuit of of uh, success, and I don't think in the you know you can sort of see in the beginning he's just trying to be successful. It isn't necessarily about yeah. greed, and then it changes, and he loses the love of his life, yeah, um, and then turns into this the quintessential. Uh, it's now you know a verb. You're you are Scrooging, or you know what I mean. Yep. It's uh, this is now like a well known thing. Um, so, so psychologically, what do you, you know, what's going on there? What, what do you think, uh, that story so, is? So I think, I think, um, there's a lot there. There's a lot that we can unpack. And I think, um, one of the things I love about the story is it, and, and one of the reasons I can't stand people who feel like they need to go back and invent a whole bunch of backstory is the story tells you everything you need to know. It mm-hmm. opens with Scrooge. He's home 
he's not home. He's he's alone in the classroom over the Christmas holidays because he has such a bad relationship with his father, even as a young child, that his family purposely leaves him there mm-hmm. um, by himself over the holidays, which is something a lot of people you know can relate to this year, 2020. A lot of us yeah. are not able to travel for the holidays. <laughs> We're not able to go see family. For some people, it's a relief. For other people, it's a real heartbreak. Yeah. But this is Scrooge's childhood. He has, a, he has a terrible relationship with his dad, and he feels abandoned. And then in the book, uh, what happens is eventually his sister comes and gets him, and his father has had some kind of experience mm. where he's become a more kind man. That's important. And they bring Scrooge home, and there seems to be some kind of uh, restoration. And you see that he loves his sister very much. And then for a time... He's happy and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's working for Fezziwig and he is working hard, but you see, he has this fear of abandonment. He doesn't want to be abandoned in life the way that he was as a child, but he does have the ability to love. He falls in love. You know that his sister dies very young as a young mother, possibly in childbirth. Um, and that breaks his heart again. Mm-hmm. And he has this really brilliant line when his fiance comes essentially to break up with him because she's like, look, I've been, I've been waiting on you to finally do what you said and, and get married. And all you kind of really care about right now is making money. And he says, there's nothing that our society is harder on than being poor. And yet there's nothing we're more critical of than the pursuit of wealth. Mm. And, and it, you know, it, it's, it's wise, mm-hmm. but it shows us that this kind of mean old man is a broken person from a young age. Yeah. He's trying to live his life um in a way that he's wrestling with his own demons. Like he's he he is haunted on Christmas Eve, but this is a person who's haunted through the entirety of his life. Yep. Every beat that you see involves him kind of trying to respond to what's going on in his life but being haunted by what's happened before that. So again, I think it's absolutely brilliant in showing us how our lives can um, go off track mm-hmm. and how the hurts of the past can kind of knock us off track. The other thing that's really fun for me, if you're someone who believes in spiritually or psychologically like, that there are deeper forces at work, whether it's you know the universe intervening on your behalf or you're unconscious um, steering things towards a particular direction, it's also worth noting that all the good that Scrooge does at the end of the story he would not have been able to do to that extent if he had not also been a miser who accumulated all this wealth yeah. at one season of his life. <laughs> so there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a pattern there, right? Um, and that's a big part of it. But the last thing I want to say is, and this may, maybe should have been the very first thing I said on the podcast. The real genius of the story is that it shows us the psychology of how holidays and traditions work. Mm. Um, we are mortal we have a life it lives for so many years and then we're gone but we have traditions and rituals as long as humans have existed they've created rituals and those rituals if they're cultural rituals they outlive us Mm. and so whether you're the most sentimental person who loves christmas or you're the greatest scrooge out there it doesn't matter when this time of year comes along and it has nothing to do with spirituality or religion you are seeing cultural traditions that have been repeated through the entirety of your life and so what they do is they trigger things. Um, they bring back memories. 
And you can either be haunted by those memories and you can do everything you can to repress them and ignore them uh, and decide that they're, you know, undigested food. And you get this great line from Dickens <laughs> when he says there's there's more than uh, more of gravy than grave about you, I think That's is what he be- says. To literally the best. Oh, my God. So good. <laughs> um, or we can or we can actually kind of let the ghosts of the past lead us. Mm-hmm. into what part of what I think tradition does is it causes us to reflect on the past and then imagine the future to live differently in the present. And this happens to us every year. We can cooperate with it. We can fight it. We can try to ignore it. But this is what tradition and ritual does. So, sorry, I talked a lot, but I no, think that's, that's some of my favorite uh, psychological dynamics of what I think is happening here. We can talk about that, uh, any part of that in depth. Um yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're talking about there, you know, it's 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 so relatable how he becomes the Scrooge character, right? It's, Absolutely. It, you, it's so easy when you're talking about how his family sort of abandoned him when he's a child yeah. and leave him and leave him alone. That hurt turns into a, a protective wall, right? He's protecting yeah. himself from future hurt. Yeah. And like, I've been there, right? Not in yeah. that case, Absolutely. but I've had people hurt me and then I shut down for a very long time yeah. and and prevented myself from enjoying life and being positive yeah. and, and helping other people and being a good human being. And um, it, that part of it, that story is, I think, you know, so incredibly relatable. Oh, um, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the you know, for, for my taste, religiously and spiritually, I think one of the, one of the, uh, the hardest and most beautiful truths I've had to embrace in my life is that to to live a life genuinely loving people means you have to be willing to have your heart broken over and over and over again. And yes. I don't just mean that romantically. It's There's a cost in going mm-hmm. through life with an open heart. And there's that old adage that a broken heart is a heart broken open. Right. Um, and that can be true. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of resilience and, and a kind of... Um, I think these moments of like reassessment that bring us back to reality a little bit and, and kind of give us the chance to make the choice to step back into it again and again and again. Well, this is say like, yeah, you're, you're talking about second half of life stuff, right? I mean, this is sort of, I mean, this was the big lesson that, I mean, you were there for every beat of this in my personal life and I don't, I'm not going to go into detail, but there was a time where, a big thing happened in my life yep. and it hurt really bad. And and at the time, you know, we think it, it's the end of the world. And in Scrooge's case, he shuts down for a very long time until he's an old man. Yeah. Um, you know, and luckily for me, I had some supportive people in my life that helped me through this. And the clarity that came with that experience on the other side of it, you can't trade for the world. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You, you learn to Absolutely. accept that thing. What you're talking about is that, Loving people comes with risk, not not like you said, not yeah. just romantically, but um, and that's sort of the point, right? Because it's yes. nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Um, we, Absolutely. That's, and and you don't get that until um, until you kind of uh, have something that breaks you pretty hard. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Absolutely. And that's yeah. That was Carl Jung's great insight: is we spend the first half of our life essentially building the container of a life. And then usually we hit some kind of massive uh, roadblock or something breaks and we spend the heck second half of our life asking why it matters mm-hmm. and trying to, to make it more meaningful. And I, you know, I, 
I'll, I'll be a tiny bit autobiographical here, but like I have, uh, like a perfect example. My love of a Christmas Carol is something that I inherited from my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's neurotic about the story. He collects different versions on DVD. He watches all of them every year. And then that just got into the DNA of how I celebrate the holiday. Right. And my dad and I have a very clunky relationship yeah. to, to, uh, to put it that way. And so talking, for example, about, um, being haunted by the past or, or the ghost of Christmas past, I have to acknowledge every holiday when I go through these traditions and I can't help but think about my childhood and think about growing up. Um, and then, and then very much in revisiting this story, it always either unconsciously or consciously brings me to a point where I end up reflecting on some of the, some of the more strained aspects of my relationship with my father. And what I've learned um, from life and actually from like a real deep appreciation of how the dynamics of this story work is rather than ignore that or be tormented by it to like steer straight into it. And every year sit down and ask myself, okay, um, like what is haunting me that I'm trying to ignore this year? And I, and I will, I, I did this yesterday. I'll sit down with a journal, uh, you know, and a glass of wine and, and take some time and write it out. Like what's, where have I been particularly triggered or bothered, um, what's behind it that maybe I haven't paid enough attention to, what old hurts are being brought up, and then and then try to listen to the lessons there. And like what I came away with yesterday when I did my journal exercise was like I I don't want to be filled with bitterness and resentment. I would rather be filled with wisdom. Like I want to learn from where relationships and life circumstance have gone off track and I want it to make me smarter. And I don't, I, I, I do want to, you know, live my life. So I, 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 you know, don't walk into uh, sinkholes so easily, but I also don't want to be closed off and armored. Um, And also hang on one sec. Hey, could you stop? (laughs) Sorry. My cat has decided to attack the Christmas tree at exactly this moment (laughs) in time. Um, yeah, but it's but it's tricky. It's tricky when when I, I'm sure uh, if anyone listens to this, that everyone listening can relate to somehow some holiday tradition brings up a memory of a family member who's gone. You know, uh, my mom and my brother have passed away. I, things bring that up. Uh, a relationship that you were in that you're not in anymore. A tradition you had with a former significant other. Um my heart breaks for people I know who, who loved ones have died close to the holidays and they carry that. Right. Um, as well as the great things, you know, remembering mm-hmm. getting a He-Man figure for Christmas right. or, yeah. you know, that type of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, dude, you and I, you and I have been friends for years and years and years and you and I have worked together over the years. I have, I, I, I was telling a friend recently about a, a, a gigantic uh, Christmas uh, display that you built one year and how mm-hmm. much like deep nostalgia I have for that. And I'll just yeah. like get out a picture of it and look at it and be like, that was so cool. You know? Totally. I mean, and um, like, like you talk about, it's complicated too, because that time in our life for, for those people listening, there was a time where Mike and I worked for the same church. Um, <clears throat> I was the, I, I played the music um, and did a lot of the graphics and art for the church at the time. And Mike was the, Pastor at the church, and uh, and I, I just taught heresy till they threw me out, <laughs> <laughs> and I quit after they threw him out. Um, yeah. God bless us, um, everyone. <laughs> yeah, seriously, but but that whole experience 
especially around the Christmas time, is complicated because, like you said, there is some nostalgia yeah. there. There's a lot of yeah. nostalgia of that. Uh, yeah. There was some beautiful times that we had, and it was great, yep. and it was lovely, and we yes, we got to create that beautiful. Um, we built this giant. It was uh, would have been um, sixteen foot wide by eight foot tall. Man, and we cut it out of plywood, and it was it was basically a faux stained glass piece with angels and and the nativity on it, basically, and we used um, plywood and construction paper to build it, but it actually it's- looked like. Stained glass. It's and it's what I was telling my friend the other night. I was like, you would not believe how amazing this thing looked, yeah. and how much it really did look like this gigantic wall of stained glass. And it was construction paper. It was construction paper um, that we put oil on and then backlit. And uh, and yeah. and and yeah, and that was fun because that you know that for me was oh man, that was a joy because that's oh what I lo- I love building mm-hmm. things right. And so to be able mm-hmm. to do this cool thing that was going to be aesthetically pleasing and people were going to enjoy, that was great. But then obviously, and I don't want to get into it, but there was a lot of conflict going on there when, you yeah. know, working there. And um, and that was a, a tough time. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? I mean, clearly we work there. We don't work there now. <laughs> yeah. It was, um, it was a bummer. Well, and also I think at that time, you know, somewhere around there, well, I mean, we put that thing up a few years, but, you know, somewhere yep. around there, I went through my big crisis and uh you know and then right afterwards we both stopped working there and it was a it was a rough time so there's a lot of uh complicated uh (laughs) yeah memories around uh, around this time of year yeah and the holidays this is and this is what i'm trying to say like you don't need to be a person of any particular religious practice or spirituality to recognize that the holidays this is how tradition and ritual works it brings up memory in a particular way that you don't get on an ordinary Tuesday. Like sometimes you do, like Scrooge says, the bit of undigested meat is brilliant. Like, right. you know how many people have, I'm a Jungian, right? So we're not going to get into this, but but one of the things Jungians are very adamant about is that dreams are very, very important yeah. and they always mean something. And 99 times out of 100, when people in our culture have a dream, they just assume it's, you know, pizza that, that they right. didn't digest well. Right. And, um, and that's kind of where Scrooge's initial thing is. He's like, this is just a dream. Um, and then it's like, no, it's, it's really not. It's, it's something you have to remember whether you want to or not. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, and, and again, it happens to so many of us and I think it's supposed to. Yeah. (laughs) Well, is there anything else, uh, theological, spiritual, psychological, mythological you want to comment? Just that, again, I think it's, I think whether I think what happens when you watch a story like this, especially a story like this that's so perfectly crafted to demonstrate how the holidays and the traditions tend to work on us, one of the things that's really cool is is you know you can do it unconsciously or you can do it consciously. So like I said, what I've done is I've chosen to make it a part of my practice. So every year, the great thing about you know, Advent leads up to Christmas and then you have Christmas and New Year's right after that. It's just a good time for me to reflect on the on the previous year. So I do these things. I ask myself to question, is there anything haunting me? And then what do I want to remember about the past? And how do I want to recognize that it's still with me now? How do I let it inform the moment that I'm in? You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where I start. Then I move on to my next big question, which is what am I not paying attention to in the present? Um, cause I love this. I love, um, the ghost of Christmas present really is, amazing Mm -hmm. he just takes scrooge around he takes him around the city and then eventually the world and he shows him things that have been happening under his nose the entire time but he's never paid attention to Mm -hmm. uh good and bad 
you know, needs that he's, he's hardened himself to, that he's not recognized where he can make a difference. And then also like just beautiful things that he should slow down and pay attention to and appreciate. So that's, that's the next, you know, big question I ask myself. This will be my, my reflection question today when I sit down with a journal and do some, do some of my personal practices. Like, what have I not been paying attention to? Which is a funny question to ask in 2020 because it's hard not to pay attention. There's yeah, exactly. a lot going on. <laughs> um, but also, what do I need to to slow down and appreciate? Um, you know, for me, living out here in, in the desert and the mountains of New Mexico, you know, my moments of appreciation are usually hiking up to the top of a mountain to watch the, the sunset, mm-hmm. which I've needed to do a lot more this year because it's been a, a crazy year. Yeah. Um, but I asked that question, you know, what do I, what do I need to slow down and pay attention to? Um, what needs do I need to see? What gifts do I need to appreciate? And then, and then the next big question is, you know, where's it all going? What do I need to, what do I need to think about for the future? What am I worried about for the future? What, um, what's my plan for this year coming up? What do I want my life to really be about? Uh, and what do I want to matter when I'm gone? Um, I think we get so hung up on things that don't matter, right? That's a big message of the story. And we don't pay attention to things that do. And then all that just leads you to, you know, enjoy Christmas, enjoy the moment, be in the present and just live, live that as a gift right now. And I think that is such a poignant and useful exercise and reminder. And again, you don't have to do it proactively. You watch the story or you just live the holidays, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think if you get ahead of it and and purposely go into it, it becomes that much more meaningful, which is the genius of the movie Scrooged, because his being around the story triggers him going through the steps right. of the story, even if it's, it's definitely not a, a perfect execution. <laughs> and there are very clunky moments and parts of it that haven't aged particularly well. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I wish there was a little more agency and um, I just wish there was a little more to how they, they portray his past love. But it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I do want to mention this, though, before we go. I, I do think the one – I forgot to say this. The one really brilliant innovation in the movie Scrooged – and I, we're probably over time and off topic here – but uh, is is the, the one thing they do with Marion uh, from Indiana Jones when the ghost of Christmas future shows – her to him and you remember the scene she it's in the future and she's like at a restaurant with friends or something and there's children outside and she like says like get them out of here get them away um and she i I don't remember the dialogue but she basically says i used to care about things like that and then someone gave me advice and said like if you want to save someone save yourself and you see that that what he said to her has actually um, steered her life into a more selfish and self-absorbed direction. I do think that is the one truly genius part of the story. And it's the one thing that it adds that's really, really brilliant uh, because it, it shows not only how we can fail to do good when we have the opportunity, but how our life also affects the people around us for good or ill. Right. Right. So he's actually made a negative contribution to her life. I also do think it, doesn't give her enough agency and makes him too much yeah. of a messiah in the story. But all that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I, I you know, I. Uh, what about you? Any any uh, any details oh, that you no, want to point to... out about that, or any other version that stands out that you really appreciate? 
Not on a deep level. I will say we were talking uh, yesterday briefly, and <laughs> we were talking about the song that the uh, Ghost of Christmas Present sings in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. And how, why is that not, why do I have to hear freaking Mariah Carey's oh, my God. <laughs> Christmas yes. song every two yes. minutes? And yep. the Ghost of Christmas, what is it? Um, it feels like Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. Everywhere it you go, it's It is the singing like of a street corner choir. It oh is my God, getting I love it. going warm by the fire. Yeah. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely one of the best uh, Christmas carols I've ever heard. Yeah, it's Brilliant. great. It's yep. so good. <laughs> I'm going to download that soundtrack today. You're absolutely right. And you know what's um, funny? I was watching that the other night. Laura and I watched it. And I I mean, I've seen the movie a million times, but I haven't seen it in probably – it's not a tradition for me to watch it every Christmas. But yeah. So like I haven't seen it in a number of years. And I and it completely like I somehow forgot or it never stuck with me that uh, Michael Caine is Scrooge. And yeah. how brilliant – like he's perfect for it. Like he's, he's amazing. So, he's so good at Scrooge. He's so Michael Caine is good in everything. Yeah, and yeah, and and I you talk about the meta narrative of like I can't watch him without also like thinking of some of my favorite lines, and all the crazy things he's showed up in from Austin Powers to Jaws four <laughs> right. to being Alfred in the in the Batman Begins trilogy. But he just crushes that movie. He's yeah. he's so good as as bad Scrooge, and he's so good as like he's believable Scrooge. both ways. Yeah, yeah. He throws totally a red be- scarf on, and he's a completely yeah. different character. <laughs> it's it's absolutely amazing. That's yeah, I, I I totally dug it. It's a good one, and I'm you know I'm glad now that um, that that's on on Disney Plus and so easy to watch. Not to plug Disney Plus, but yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> also, one of these days, uh, you and I'll have to talk about. The Mandalorian and how that saved Christmas, but that's not today. Not um, today, because I, I I literally just acquired access to Disney Plus, and I'm going to start watching. I haven't seen even the first season. I haven't seen anything, and okay. I've avoided every spoiler I can possibly, except for knowing the fact that the child exists yep. and is a meme everywhere. I've yep. avoided every spoiler possible. The kid who um, saved Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to start watching that hopefully this week. I've right been on. so busy with work, but that's on my list of things to do. Right on. Well, I um you know, my parting shot would if anyone listens would be to say like please uh do yourself a favor and track down that nineteen seventies musical version. <laughs> um and if you don't if you don't feel like watching the whole thing, you know, watch the song I Hate People because it's great. And uh, just like find a highlights reel because it's just yeah. it's an absolute trip. I, I blew my mind. I can't believe I never knew it existed. I think that's a great place to end. Cool. Well, if you made it this far in the podcast, thank you. This has been Cinemarder, movies to die for. Talk to you next time, guys. Amazing. I hate people. I hate people. People are despicable creatures, loathsome, inexplicable creatures, good for nothing, kickable creatures, I...